This is, uh, this is my 34th Advent as a preacher. 34 Advents. Uh, I know that's a long time. I know you're looking, you're thinking, wow, I would have figured it would have been a lot more than that, actually. <laughs> but when we come to these major seasons and major holy days, as I come to them as a preacher, I get a little discouraged because I think, what could I possibly say that hasn't been said before, probably way better, and by somebody else? But then I remember that we are blessed at Christ Church to have many new individuals, many new families in our midst who maybe have never really observed the whole Christian year through the vantage point of the great tradition as it is rooted in the Holy Scriptures. The vantage point of the great tradition which is rooted in the Holy Scriptures. It's a way of applying the truth of Scripture to our lives by observing time under, uh, under, the, uh, under the aegis, under the guidance of Scripture. And so, preaching during these special days, and particularly Advent, becomes exciting again for me as I get to share deep, soul-changing, soul-shaping soul realities that have the power to transform our lives more and more into the image of Christ. So, as we think about Advent then, so if you ask folks what Advent is about, the majority of them, even if they've, ever, if they've even ever heard of Advent, they're probably going to say something like, it is a season for preparing for Christmas. Advent is the season for, for, for preparing for Christmas. And to some extent, that's in fact the case. That's true. And this gets popularly expressed, though, as a sort of pre-Christmas. So Advent, this prep time of preparation, actually gets expressed as a, as a sort of Pre-Christmas, that's when all the Christmas specials come on. Um, you know, I, I think we took the, the Hallmark Channel out and shot it behind the shed the other day, so we don't get that. But, uh, but I know that's when all of the holiday specials come on uh, streaming or on, on television, on cable. Uh, it's when we do a lot of our decorating. We, we express sort of a pre-Christmas with the emphasis on the birth of Jesus. And then Christmas Day in that scheme becomes the big payoff. It's been kind of, it's a crescendo throughout that season, and the big payoff is Christmas Day, a big one-day celebration that caps off the season, and then it's just over with. But that is not what Advent is about, and that's not even how we celebrate Christmas here at Christchurch. That's not all that Advent is about. You see, if your Advent is primarily about looking backwards in time, to the first Christmas, if Advent is for you about looking backwards in time to the first Christmas and that's it, then you've missed the fullness of what this season is about. Advent is not so much a season about looking back, but about looking forward in time to Christ's second coming. Advent is about looking forward in time to Christ's second coming and to God's final victory and the consummation of all things. And that's why during Advent at Christ Church and churches that observe the Christian year, we don't hear cozy stories, cozy stories about shepherds and mangers, but rather Advent starts with hearing about judgment and repentance in this season. And that's why the gospel reading for this season begins like this. And there Jesus said, and there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, there's just not a lot of fa-la-la-la-la in that. 
By the way, that's why we don't sing Christmas carols at church during Advent. But don't get disappointed. Not only do we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate all of Christmas. We start on Christmas Eve, and we don't stop celebrating Christmas until January the 5th. There is mandatory revelry, <laughs> mandatory merriment for the entire 12 days. The beatings will continue until morale improves. And then we add another Christmas-related celebration on January 6th called the Epiphany or Theophany. So don't worry, you will sing all the Christmas carols for the entire span of the real celebration. But this season of Advent is about preparation. It's about watching and waiting. So we will hear about preparation over the next couple of Sundays as we reacquaint ourselves with the person and ministry of John the Baptizer. And then we'll focus on waiting as we yearn for Christ's second coming as expressed in the passage we heard today. And that theme of anticipation for God to act is going to be brought up again and will be reflected on the last Sunday of Advent as we ponder Mary's anticipation of the coming of her son at the first Advent. But today our emphasis kind of lands on watchfulness. So on being alert for Christ, ready for Christ's second coming, alert and ready for the second coming of Jesus. So let's just look at that text from Luke chapter 21 again. The first thing that we see here is that the signs and events, the signs and events immediately preceding Christ's return will be the source of terror, terror for the unbelieving world. Jesus said people will be fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now think about climate change anxiety and turn it up to 11. We worry about how we are creating ecological devastation on the earth by our actions, but a time is coming when there will be cosmic events, cosmic events over which we have no control. That, we, that will create great fear and foreboding. The most dependable things that we can imagine, Jesus said there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. The most dependable things that we can imagine will be shaken and disordered. The cosmos will be in convulsions. The cosmos will be in convulsions. But while the world may be fainting with fear, Jesus says that these signs should not lead to dismay for his followers. He tells us that it should lead instead to hope and exhilaration. As we see these things, those signs should lead to hope and exhilaration. Luke chapter 21, verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, what things? The things he's just described. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and do the straighten up. That's right. Some of you may be old enough to remember that uh, great Motown hit, but... Straighten up and raise your heads. That's actually the tighten up, excuse me. Nobody cares, do they, really? You don't know. <laughs> All right, well, Jesus says, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is drawing near. You know, Lisa and I went to a little school, my wife Lisa and I went to a little school together called Richmond Academy. Yes, she's been my girlfriend since the third grade. And uh, some things get decided early in life, and that was one of them for me. So Lisa and I went to a little school together called Richmond Academy in Richmond County, North Carolina, when we were growing up. And every day we had a time, in the fourth grade, 
in the fourth grade, we had a time of devotions led by one of our classmates. And I still remember the day that Kathy Millam got up and read a devotion about Christ's second coming. I think it may have been even based on that passage we just heard from Luke's gospel. And I remember as she gave that devotion, speaking of Christ's return, that I was shocked. Wait a minute. The world as we know it is going to end? Jesus is coming back? I remember that, uh, hearing that. I was deeply troubled. In fact, I think I was terrified by that, that, that devotion. So that night I couldn't sleep, and my dad asked me what was wrong, and I said, did you, Dad, did you know? <laughs> Have you heard about this? That Jesus is coming back and all this scary stuff is going to happen before he comes? He said, son, this is something that as believers we look forward to, not something that we fear. It will be a time of joy for those who long for his appearing. What wise words from my dad. And at his, at his coming, all this culminates in the unmistakable, universal, visible return of Jesus Christ. The unmistakable, universal, and visible return of, the, of Jesus Christ in glory. Listen to what it says in Luke 21, verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And in view of his imminent return, Jesus warns his followers not to get distracted. Seeing that I am coming again, don't get distracted. Luke 21, verses 34 and 36. Jesus says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. So dissipation, don't get, don't get distracted. Don't get weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and anxiety. But you know, dissipation, drunkenness, and anxiety sounds like what Advent is for a lot of people. Not something that we're avoiding. His coming will be sudden and unexpected, even though there will be signs. So we need to be on the alert because if we are not prepared, we will not be able to, as he said, stand before the Son of Man when he comes. So the distractions draw us away. These distractions draw us away. You know, the enemy doesn't have to lead us into great sin to, to condemn us, just merely distract us. So the distractions draw us away from what is important to the trivialities of life. And isn't it ironic that the very things we associate with the coming of Christmas are the things that can prevent us from being ready for the coming of Jesus? We get distracted by dissipation. What is dissipation? We don't use that word very much. Well, it means overconsumption of food or overindulgence in revelry. So when, you're, when you have your mandatory 12 days of revelry, It'll be the revelry meter, and don't get in the red zone, all right? No, not really, but seriously, we, we, we do it with great joy as unto the Lord, and, but there's a time when revelry becomes debauchery. As Jesus says, don't be, dis, don't be distracted by dissipation, overindulgence in food, or revelry, or filling our lives with possessions. Drunkenness is self-explanatory. The cares of this life, anxiety, and worry, the things that preoccupy us, that keep us from focusing on, the, from keeping the main thing, the main thing. Jesus' remedy for the pettiness that can consume us at this time is that we remain alert 
be aware that an end is coming, whether you and I live to see his return or that we are taken home at our death before that time, an end is coming for all of us. Jesus says, verse 36, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Pray, he says, praying that you may have strength. So prayer is the key to alertness. Every day we come back to the Lord again and again. We have the prayer book. If you want to use that, it's a wonderful resource. But sometime a prayer refocuses our lives back on God. What a great way to begin and end the day. Now, someone has said that Advent reminds us that Jesus comes to us in at least three ways. He comes to us in history, in mystery, and in majesty. History, mystery, and majesty. He came in history as a baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. and We'll mark that event at Christmas. He comes in majesty, as we've heard, at the end of the age. And he comes in mystery right here at this altar, Sunday to Sunday. History, mystery, and majesty. He comes to us in mystery at the altar. Now, one of the great blessings that comes with frequent celebration of Holy Communion is that we're forced, as we come to the Lord's table, it brings us to a moment where we examine our lives again and again. In the Anglican Anglican tradition, the Anglican way of being a Christian, it's the custom to read what's called the exhortation from the prayer book regarding Holy Communion on the first Sunday of Advent and on the first Sunday of Lent and on Trinity Sunday. That exhortation that we're going to hear in just a moment challenges us to let the Holy Spirit convict us of those areas where we need to repent and to seek God's forgiveness. And that's, by the way, why we always have a prayer of confession. There's only like a couple of times in the year when we would not have a prayer of confession before Holy Communion. One of those times is on the Easter vigil. At Easter, uh, the the blast radius of the good news of Christ's resurrection and defeat of death is so enormous that it just overshadows everything and we just rejoice all the way through that service. And we don't even, you know, yes, we're, we're all sinners, but, you know, Jesus, you took care of that. But throughout the year, we come again and again to the Lord's table first by going through a time of confession. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to shine the searchlight of God's Word into my life. We heard the, uh, the summary of the law at the beginning of this service. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And with that summary of the law in mind, we come to a time of confession where we say, Lord, where have I not loved you like that? Where have I not loved my neighbor like that? Convict me of that, and I turn to you in repentance. And so, as we come to the Lord's table week by week, that's why we do these things. We're reminded of our need for forgiveness. We find forgiveness, and we prepare to meet Jesus in mystery as he comes again at the table in a way that we can't define, but that he surely does. You see, Christ comes again, every Eucharist, in humble glory, not clothed as he will at the end of the age in clouds, but veiled in bread and wine. Humble glory. At this table, we encounter the risen Christ in a real, tangible, palpable, tasteable way. 
For those of us who are waiting expectantly for Christ's return and who come to the Lord's table with genuine repentance for sin and trusting in Jesus as our Savior, this is a wonderful foretaste of what my dad told me that night I couldn't sleep because I heard the, uh, the, the disturbing news, Jesus was coming again. That we look forward to that, it will be a time of great joy. And we can have great joy in his presence here as we meet him at his table. But we need to realize, though, that this meal can also be a moment of judgment upon us if we come to the Lord's table with unrepentant hearts. What does an unrepentant heart look like, looks like? It's, here's what it's not. Unrepentance is not, Lord, I'm having, I, it is so hard for me to turn away from these things that turn me away from you. So please help me. That's not unrepentance. That's saying I'm a sinner in need of grace. Lord, there is a besetting sin in my life. I can't, get, I can't get power over it. It has dominion over me. Please, Lord, take this away from me. That is repentance. And that is a sign that we need God's grace. Unrepentance is this. You're not the boss of me. I'm doing what I want to do, and I don't care what the Word of God says or anybody else says. I'm not going to do that. So if we come to the table with an unrepentant heart, or if we come to the table refusing to release our sin, or, hold, or if we come to the table holding on to our grudges and grievances against others, or our idolatrous worry and pettiness, and we won't release those to the Lord. In fact, the, the table is a place where we can release those things, but if we come grasping them, saying, no, they're mine, then we're eating and drinking condemnation unto ourselves. So we need to be reminded again, this beginning, this first Sunday of Advent, to prepare for the Lord's coming. As he came, we pro he promised, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We saw God fulfill his promise to send Messiah in history at the first Christmas. He comes at the end of the age. We can trust him for that because he's kept his word at the first coming. He'll keep his word about the second coming, and he promises to meet us here at his table. And with that in mind, let's prepare by hearing those words uh, from our great tradition in the Anglican way. Turn to page 147 in that prayer book. It's the red book with the... Uh, um, Jerusalem cross on the front. It looks like this. It should be there in your pew. Turn to page 147 in your prayer book and follow along as I read this for all of us. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Dearly beloved in the Lord, if you intend to come to the holy communion of the body and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ, you must consider how St. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, exhorts us all diligently to examine ourselves before we presume to eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For as the benefit is great, if we receive that holy sacrament with a truly, a truly penitent heart and lively faith, spiritually eating the flesh of Christ and drinking his blood, so that we might be made one with Christ and he with us, so also is the danger great if we receive these gifts unworthily. For then we become guilty of profaning the body and blood of Christ our Savior, and we eat and drink to our own condemnation. Therefore, judge yourselves, lest you be judged by the Lord. First examine your life by the rule of God's commandments whether you have offended either by thought, word, or deed. 
Confess your sins to Almighty God with the full intention to amend your life. Be ready to make restitution of all injuries and wrongs you have done to others, and also be ready to forgive others who have offended you. For otherwise, if you unworthily receive Holy Communion, you will increase your own condemnation. Therefore, repent of your sins, or else do not come to God's holy table. And if you have come here today with a troubled conscience, and you need help and counsel, come to me or to some other priest and confess your sins that you may receive godly counsel, direction, and absolution. To do so will both satisfy your conscience and remove any scruples or doubt. Above all, each of us should give humble and hearty thanks to God for the redemption of the world by the death and passion of our Savior Jesus Christ. He humbled Himself even to death on a cross for us sinners who lay in darkness and in the shadow of death, that He might make us children of God and exalt us to everlasting life. Because of His exceedingly great love for us, our Savior Jesus Christ has instituted and ordained these holy mysteries as pledges of His love. And for a continual remembrance of His death and passion to our great and endless comfort. To Him, therefore, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, let us give continual thanks as, our duty and our, as is our duty and our joy, submitting ourselves entirely to His holy will and striving to serve Him in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Amen. Amen.